When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Lloyd Brunson. He is one of four Brunson brothers who is a trumpeting a very interesting case and it's very fitting. You guys are all uh, trumpet players, right? So I think it's very <laughs> fitting that you're bringing, you're sounding the alarm on this. And I, as someone who is a little bit skeptical and typically kind of cynical when it comes to the government, I feel really hopeful about this, regardless of the outcome, mostly because none of you, you're not lawyers. You're bringing this case, you know, as citizens, which I think is incredibly hopeful for, you know, for humanity and just a testament to the will of people and what as citizens of America people can do to, you know, change the course of history. So I am super excited to, to welcome you here today. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks, Courtney. I'm happy to be here too. <laughs> awesome. So maybe for my audience, because unfortunately, I mean, I would think everybody would know about this, but uh, you might need to, uh, you know, get out your trumpets and be louder because a lot of people actually don't know uh, what you are doing and don't know a whole lot about the history behind it. So maybe you could give a little bit of a backstory and uh, sure. bring us up to speed. Sure. It, it actually sounds just way too good to believe. I mean, it sounds like, you know, like uh, just, you know, it's extreme. It's so extreme because what has happened is the Supreme Court now has a petition in front of them, which gives them the full power to remove a sitting president, vice president, and 385 members of Congress uh, permanently from federal office. And I say permanently because they, the, the Supreme Court also has the power to ban them from ever holding public office again. And why? What's this case about? It's about the fact that uh, that over 380 uh, members of Congress refused a simple 10-day investigation. When you have 100 members of Congress presenting uh, concrete evidence and witnessing that there needs to be an investigation, not claiming uh, the re uh, what, it, what the results would be of the investigation and not, not in other words, this is, has nothing to do with the outcome of the election. This is simply, there was a security breach and 100 members of Congress insisted and tried to get the other members of Congress to take a 10-day break to investigate the certification of the electoral votes and they wouldn't take a 10-day break to do that. Now, there have been some legal kind of ease people that have done some research and they found that there's a couple of pretty uh, flagrant discrepant or problems 
with them not investigating? Like there was supposed to be a report that, that was supposed to been given them before they certified it. And they were supposed to, you know, they were, they were really supposed to go ahead and investigate for 10 days and they did not do that. And so, uh, so we filed a lawsuit. My brothers and I have two brothers and one of them is the legal mind behind it all. And the other brother is like strategy and, and other things. And, and I'm, uh, I'm the spokesperson and the plaintiff. We started actually with one lawsuit, which is still alive in federal court. It's identical to the one that's in front of the Supreme Court right now. And so we started with mine. We learned a lot from mine because the court tried to, even after I filed my case, uh, the court uh, unfiled it. They they can't do that. A court can't unfile a case, but they did. Wow. So we actually sued them. We actually... Appeal. We took them with a complaint to the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. The 10th Circuit Court of Appeals is set up so that if you have a problem with the federal court and their jurisdiction, you can complain to them and they'll look into it. They'll investigate. And if they see some problems, they'll, they'll uh, get on the federal court to do the right thing. Well, they didn't, they didn't help us. And so we took both courts to state court. So we actually sued the Federal Court of Utah and the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals in state court with a state court judge. And after we battled that for a while, uh, after it was over, we lost. But we did win, actually, because after that was over, uh, the, the court agreed to, re- to allow me to file my case that they blocked. And not only did they, they agree to let me file it, but they filed it for me. And they ordered the clerk of the federal court to issue 388 summonses. And so they did that. And so that's still alive. That case has not been dismissed. It's in federal court right now. But meanwhile, we had this other one going identical to mine because my brothers, uh, that we thought, hey, let's have two instead of one. Two is better. We want to go to the Supreme Court. We know that we're, there's not much of a chance winning in the lower courts. But we don't, we want to get it to the Supreme Court, which is, you know, United States Supreme Court, the top court of the land, right? That was our goal. So it was fine. Go ahead and toss it. Go ahead and dismiss it. We're going to appeal it which we did, but we got to the 10th circuit and they wouldn't make a decision. And so that's where the kind of the miracle started to happen. And uh, uh, because they wouldn't make a decision over four months, we figured out a way to bypass their, their uh, decision-making requirement. The, the Supreme Court will not accept petitions or docket them unless you've gone through all the lower courts. So if we were to send in our petition saying, hey, we, you know, they just sat on it. They wouldn't do it. So we want you to take it anyway. They would reject that unless we could, under Rule 11 of the Supreme Court, prove to them that this case was a national emergency. And that happened. They approved it and accepted it as a national emergency case. And so there's a lot of backstory to all that. I don't know how much detail you want. And so now uh, now it's uh, docketed for a conference where the nine justices get together by themselves without any interference from any anyone representing either party. And they take a nine nine votes. And if four of the nine say it moves forward, then it moves forward to a full hearing, which is like a full trial. But because this is a national emergency case, the Supreme Court has the full power. And uh, I guess you could say, uh, the, well, the full power and discretion to completely not just reverse a lower court decision or uphold a lower court decision, but they have the full power to completely get into the whole complaint and execute it and offer the reliefs on all the causes of action. So this is an extremely unusual case. The last time a Rule 11 case was uh, allowed by the U.S. Supreme Court was back in the 70s. 
And uh, so, and it was by the federal government. Now they accepted our rule 11, but then they wanted us to add things to it. And while we were adding things to it, the 10th circuit made a decision. So we called the court and said, do we need that additional rule 11 information put in the case? And they said, no, you don't need it. So we didn't have to put that. So the first one we filed was a rule 11 that they were accepting, but the, the last one we did did not, we didn't need the rule 11 part of it. So it's still an emergency case, but we didn't need that. So. So it's on the docket for January 6th, 2023 to be heard, or I guess you could say heard, but not heard technically, but for the nine justices to talk about it, review it, and uh, and take a vote for it to move forward. But like I said, this could c- be completely uh, satisfied and, and, and executed and judged before January 6th because of the nature of the case. Wow, that's so crazy! January six of all dates, like a the two year anniversary. They're they're going to go yeah. to conference. That, that's pretty crazy. I want to talk a little bit about the like the precedent. So what what makes this a national uh, security threat? What what are the grounds for that? Um, okay, yeah. And how yeah? How did you come to well, yeah? Well, the 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 members of Congress have taken an oath to defend the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. Sure. Now, when you have enemies that infiltrate uh, or possibly are fi- infiltrating your election, uh, that is a huge cause for alarm. And when there's a hundred witnesses saying that there needs to be an investigation and they refuse to investigate, that's a crime. That's a mm-hmm. big deal. And so the fact that they refuse to investigate when they were supposed to is the problem here. And that's why they're guilty. And we what say ground, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but do, what grounds did they refuse to investigate? What were their reasons? For oh, I think they were saying that there wasn't, that they didn't feel like there was enough evidence that, uh, that would uh, change the outcome of the election. Well, that's like kind of like being on a ship and you're a watchman and you come to the captain and say, Hey, there's an iceberg, but it's just a little one. It's nothing that could hurt the ship, you know? And so right. there needs to be an investigation. When you go to a police department, you report a crime, just one person, they're obligated to investigate. Of There's course. no skin off there to, to, to investigate. It's very important. And if they don't, they can actually be held uh, criminally liable for that. They can become an accomplice for that. And so when you have two, you only need two witnesses in a court of law to convict on treason. Okay. When you have a hundred credible witnesses saying there needs to be an investigation and they don't do it, that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. extremely and that's a huge security breach so the con- that's giving aid and comfort to enemies of the united states they do not want investigations when they pull shenanigans right and of course so when you don't investigate it sets a precedence to us like oh they're not going to investigate anymore if they don't you know it's like wow so that needs to be stopped mm-hmm. and so that's what this case would do it would uh, it would fix the security breach it would mm-hmm. eliminate those members of Congress that participated in the breach from ever holding public office again, federal, state, or local. So uh, it's all—it's not about the outcome. It's not partisan. There are Democrats that are that would be removed. There are Republicans that would be removed. It has nothing to do with the outcome. Nothing to do with uh, partisan politics. It has everything to do with when you have people that have sworn a binding oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and they don't investigate potential. Uh, crimes and uh, treasonous acts against the country to find out for sure what's going on, then you have a, a serious problem on your hands, and that's why they need to be removed from office. And so the Supreme Court has the power to do that. Now, another thing about this case is uh, 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 there are five protections in the First Amendment. And remember what I don't think, I mean, I couldn't remember what they were when I was watching a Senate hearing. It's like you have a speech, see if we can remember together. 
speech, um, uh, the press, uh, mm -hmm. assembly, uh, religion. Mm -hmm. And there's another one that's really hard to remember. Why? Because we've never been able to use it. It's petition for redress of grievances. The rights yes. were protected, right? Okay. Now, petition for redress of grievances, they that's the ability to hold your representatives accountable. Yeah. And what the what the Congress has done over the many years that they've been that, that they've existed is they've given themselves immunity, illegal, unconstitutional immunity. See, Article Six of the Constitution is very clear. It says that all of our federal and state and local officials shall be bound by oath to this Constitution. Bound shall be bound. If there are no penalties and if there's no liability attached to that, then it's not a binding oath. And so what they've done is our Congress over the years sneakishly have have devised and established statutes that give themselves immunity. And not only that, they've changed the whole legal system around too. So that if you want to bring an action against a civil servant like that, you have to go to a special claims court. You can't even go through a regular court. You have to go to a special claims court where it dead ends, where you can't take it to the Supreme Court. Okay. And, and uh, so, and, and not only that, you have to, uh, you have to get a, a permission from the sergeant in arms. You have to actually get permission from those you're going to sue to, to sue them. So it's really, they've really given themselves a tremendous amount of protection against having to be accountable to the, uh, to the binding oath of office. And so this uh, lawsuit challenges that, and this would allow the justices to strip immunity. So from, from now on, we could, it'd be much easier to hold our representatives accountable for crimes and malfeasance and for violating the constitution that they've sworn to uphold. Wow. So I have several questions from that. So one is how does it now uh, prevent them from claiming immunity in the future? And the other one is, so they refused it saying that there wasn't enough evidence for them to go forth with an investigation. What makes why now are it does that is there any difference what what makes it so that they're not going to just you know kind of blow well, this off if again if think about the, the the results if the results had mm -hmm. been different and there had been one senator saying that there should be an investigation there would have been an investigation okay mm -hmm. you have one credible witness saying there needs to be an investigation mm -hmm. that's like going to the police and reporting a crime and he's going to say to you uh i don't think so mm -hmm. there hasn't been there haven't been crimes in that neighborhood it's like I'm not asking you to arrest anyone. I'm not asking you to, we're not asking you to stop, to not certify the electoral votes. We're talking about pausing for a 10 day investigation. Right. I mean, it's just common sense. And uh, so, and then this exposes their, their statutes. You say, how could this change? Well, there are yeah. federal statutes that would be stricken from the books so that they would no longer have statutes written that would protect them. And uh, the statutes are, are unconstitutional. So it's a constitutional challenge. The statutes, it's how, so it challenges the constitution. And then what would that mean going forward? Well, there's okay. There's us code title 28 that gives them right. immunity. That would be stricken. That would be found unconstitutional. It'd be stricken from the code. Right. And so okay. going forward would mean that uh, if these members of Congress were removed, then you'd have a lot of campaigns replacing them replacing these uh these these uh, representatives that have left vacancies right so mm -hmm. you'd have a whole new you'd have a whole new attitude with representatives and candidates where they would say okay i've got to be i've got to follow the constitution i've got to obey the constitution or i can be held accountable right now 
there's no accountability. In 2010, my brothers and I produced a documentary called The Oath of Office, The Thread by Which the Constitution Hangs. And we were asking uh, Senate candidates, U.S. Senate candidates, what the what the uh, penalty was for violating the oath of office. Can you imagine what they said? If you were, let's say you were running for U.S. Senate, someone asked you that, what would you say? What's the penalty for violating the oath of office? Well, I think in the old days, wasn't that uh, treason? And then therefore yeah. you were hung? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you know what the answer was? What? From, like, from some of them? Some of them gave good answers, but... We have a current U.S. senator, and his answer was, you lose the election. I mean, can you believe that? You Whoa. lose the election? Wow. We have a problem. We have a problem, yeah. right? It's that, like, that's a, a very uh, that's a very corrupt problem. answer. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's definitely a problem. Yeah. yeah so, and it's, and it's, an, it's a clear thing for people to understand that may, may not feel like they're as knowledgeable of the Constitution as they would like to be or laws or whatever, but it's like... Hey, that's just simple. I tell people when you study the Constitution, just look for things that you connect. You can connect to simple things that you understand. Mm-hmm. Skip over the others. You know, it's like studying the Bible or scriptures. You just keep looking for something that connects to you and makes sense. You don't get bogged down in the other stuff. And this is one of those I call low hanging pieces of fruit where where if they've given themselves immunity, but mm-hmm. they're claiming that they're taking a binding oath, which is required by Article Six of the Constitution, we've got to correct that problem. And if we correct that problem, then we'll have new people coming into office, uh, replacing the, the other types. We'll have a whole new quality of representation in Washington, D.C. Because if you think about it, there are a lot of people that are willing to lay down their life for this country and have in the military. And they have been pushed out, I think, by all the, the corruption. And there's a lot of mudslinging and corruption and just just a free-for-all in the political world. And so this would tighten the ship up a bit. And so... This would allow, this would encourage the honest people who are the heroic types of people in this country to get back engaged in the political process. And those who want to exploit uh, their position and not even know what the Constitution is and not even read it before they swear to uphold it, it would kind of push those out. So I think the climate, the political climate would improve, uh, the quality would improve uh, greatly. Well, I, I certainly hope so. I, I'm, uh, <laughs> Not 100% convinced that uh, the corruption would be then uh, wiped out to the extent where the new people going in or that the people are informed enough to bring in, you know, good, decent, honest people. But uh, this is why this is why it would work, because now you could go to court and sue these people where you wouldn't be able to sue them before. So the floodgates of lawsuits could open up against those who were violating the Constitution, violating the oath. I mean, you can be sued. I can be sued. Yeah. Why are our representatives, why do they get off? And not, I, I, I always say this. I feel like the law has protected the elites as opposed to the people, uh, which, you know, in theory, it was supposed to be recourse yeah. for the people. So, yeah. yeah. So this would, I'm not saying it would make everything perfect all of a sudden, but it right. would certainly cause a shift the right direction. And already uh, talking about this case and talking about the oath, there must be hundreds of thousands of people that have never heard about the binding oath and how it needs to be binding and how they have immunity. And now they're aware. And just the fact that they're aware of that, they okay. can use that to study more and research more and ask their representatives, go town hall meetings and asking them about it and see okay. if they give the same answer that they, that they lose the election or if they give some more. In California, there's a perjury statute. 
And if you read it, it states that there's an exclusionary clause with the statute, and that is you're not accountable for perjury if it has to do with the oath of office and you're, and you're taking the oath of office as a politician. They actually, I mean, that's such an obvious, obvious skirting of, uh, of, uh, the, of, of the obligation that the, that the oath creates. And so uh, sure. just a, Thomas Jefferson said that the, the, true, the true corrective for constitutional abuse is education. And that's, that's what's happening right now. And that's what you're doing right now. You're exposing and you're getting people thinking, you're asking questions and you're exposing this to people. And so it's getting them uh, more involved. It's helping them see that there's something they can study and understand. You know, maybe a lot of people right now are going to Article 6 so they can read it for themselves. Go to Article 6, so. one last paragraph and read the president's oath. And if you go to sevendiscoveries.com, I have this new constitution book with, with seven discoveries that have never been published before and concepts that have been overlooked for over 200 years that talk about things like that, Q&A in the back. If, uh, if you get this book that you see behind me at sevendiscoveries.com and read that, it's probably about an hour read, you'll know more than any representative on Capitol Hill having to do with the constitution. So it's about awareness and education and it's an opportunity uh, for people to go, oh, I connect with that. Yeah, why should they have immunity? Yeah, I don't have immunity. Why should right. they? Right, absolutely. Well, it was supposed to be an exercise in self-governance, and uh, we can't be self-governed if we are uninformed and we don't know how yeah. the government works. So, so, yeah, I think absolutely that is really hopeful that if nothing else, it brings some awareness. I'm curious about the process. I've heard you say this can be a super smooth transition, uh, oh. you know, right? Well, you're you're talking about almost 400 people being replaced, right? Uh, is it 385 or th I've heard 385 well, or 388? It'd be 387 okay. because Mike Pence does not hold a federal position. So it'd be a sitting president, vice president, and 385 members of Congress. Okay. Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, it's easy to think of the negative. Oh, they're going to be, they're going to be gone and we won't have a government. It's like, no, think, I try to think in positive way. Okay. I'll, should I go through my little scenario of what I would do if I were, if I, yeah, please. I suggest, hang on just a sec, what I would suggest. It's like, no one's really consulted with me about this. I just know that when my lawsuit was ordered to be served by the, it was uh, to 380 defendants in federal court, the federal court actually ordered the U S marshal service to serve my summons and complaint on the 380 defendants. And they started doing that March 31st, 2021. Okay, and then a lot of things happened where the court called it back. But mm -hmm. I'm saying that the U.S. Marshal Service would have the power to execute a court order from a circuit court or from the U.S. Supreme Court. And so what they could do is they could just simply go to the sergeant in arms, U.S. Marshals with a court order, go to the sergeant in arms with a list of the credentials, uh, credentialed uh, officers uh, to have their credentials canceled. And so that could that could be a very quick, might take an hour, might take two to have them all you know, all the credentials canceled. And once that happens, there could also be special government broadcast teams going to the different broadcast houses to show real time news, real stuff. So no one makes up a bunch of stuff, making people think the world's coming to an end, that this is actually a fantastic, wonderful thing. And then think of all the, the incredible campaigns that would be launched that would support this. I mean, you think about it, for every representative, probably several, several people ready to, to start their campaign. They probably have hundreds of millions of dollars to do it. And they would support this just for the fact that they want to participate in replacing these representatives, you know, with their own candidates. Right. And so you have that in place. 
And so uh, the, the, the federal communications directors, the three of them, they have taken an oath to the Constitution. Did you know that? I didn't know that. They had actually been appointed, there were executive appointments, and they take an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. And so they have an obligation to not let any of the broadcast houses broadcast anything that would defame or that would, uh, that would uh, compromise uh, the respect of the Constitution of the United States. Wait, so I'm saying, who, so who is this that took that oath? I'm sorry. You... The federal communications directors, the three of them. Federal wow. communications. And they're and they are see, they are the directors of all the broadcast houses. So they're responsible for not letting uh, the broadcast houses broadcast anything that would compromise the Constitution of the United States, which is the United States of America, right? And so they've kind of they've they That um, would make the, Operation Mockingbird like completely unconstitutional. Well, there's a ton of stuff that could happen. Uh, the, the, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people didn't realize that or don't realize that, that the Federal Communications Commission has such an in incredible constitutional uh, responsibility to do that. And so uh, this could filter right down to the broadcast houses with special teams. And uh, while they're uh, reporting in real time now, I mean, you could be watching television, all of a sudden a long commercial, and then, and then the news comes on and you see new faces. And they're giving the news in real time, the real news, you know, mm -hmm. after what's really going on. And right. so, um, so it could be, it could, I think it could be a fairly smooth and exciting and positive transition. You know? Wow. I, I'm very curious about that. That's not something I've ever heard that the uh, broadcast commissioners need to uphold uh, the, an oath to the Constitution. Yeah. Which means FCC. that these they're, they're the media companies that own all of these uh, broadcast agencies that are, you know, the, the the six basically media outlets that are the the MSM, then they've violated the Constitution repeatedly. Right. Um, right. So I, I'd yeah. be very curious to see what would then happen moving forward because they. They were very much uh, responsible for yeah. how the election, and I would argue how most elections go. They're yeah. a huge uh, component of what right. happens. Now, in the complaint, we have, uh, in addition to the 380 defendants, we have, uh, it's called John Doe's 1 through 100, which gives the court full power, discretion, whatever, to add defendants to that case. So they could actually add the directors of the Federal Communication Commission to that and other players that have had a big influence on on uh, on destroying like, uh, the constitution, the social media companies absolutely. would they be a yeah. part of that? They uh, they absolutely could be. They could be added as a additional, especially defendant. with the Twitter files now being oh, released. Yes. And right. the Twitter, absolutely. I mean, Twitter is not not unique in that. All of the social media companies, have right, been right, right, exactly. So they have that power. So uh, this is this is really the most powerful and historical Supreme court petition that's ever been filed in my opinion, in the history of the United States. And so uh, let's see what the justices do with it. And the fact that they encouraged us and they communicated with us before we even filed it and asked for, they? Uh, they asked for uh, special documents to be included that weren't required. And it made a lot of sense. It was to streamline the whole thing. And then they sent us a waiver asking us to send the waiver to the U.S. attorneys so that they could waive their right to oppose it before conference, which they did. They filed a waiver uh, uh, that, uh, waiving their right to oppose the petition before conference that's scheduled for January 6th. So there are quite a few different elements uh, to this that lead us to believe that it's uh, that, that there's could be a very positive outcome to all of this. 
Wow. Um, I'm familiar, but just for my audience, what are those documents that they asked you to include that are not normally required? Okay. Well, first of all, they asked us to do the waiver. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we sent the waiver to the U.S. Attorney's Office asking them if they would, they would waive their right. And so uh, they, they had 30 days to, they had 30 days to file an opposition and they waited until, well, the last day that it was due, the U.S. attorneys, the docket showed that the U.S. attorneys were no longer representing the defendants and that the United States Solicitor General was now representing the defendants. And she's the one that signed the waiver waiving their right to extend, uh, to to extend the deadline and also uh, which gave up their any of their right to oppose it before conference. So that happened. What was the other part of your question? I think I uh, oh I, I was at, you you said that they had asked you to include some documents oh, yeah. that doc- yeah. that's right the document and so uh, they asked us to include the motion to dismiss and so we did. We also included the opposition to the motion to dismiss so that they could see the full argument from the U.S. attorneys having to do with their position. So, and I believe they did that so that the, that that now that they filed an opposition, they won't be able to claim that it was unfair because we included the full motion to dismiss, which wasn't required. And so does that make sense? Yeah. We included the U.S. attorney's motion to dismiss, which was not required. So if they go, well, we didn't have a chance to argue. It's like, no, you did uh, with pleadings because the Brunsons uh, actually voluntarily uh, included your motion to dismiss. So you can't say that your position was not incorporated within the petition or wasn't incorporated into the discussions at conference. So, so that was a kind of a streamlined decision, I think, on the part of the court. Now, the, the clerk of the court was uh, his office was working with us. And when you think clerk of the court, it's not a justice clerk. Clerk of the court's a whole bigger situation than a general justice clerk. The clerk of the court is Scott Sessions Harris. And for 11 years, he was the Supreme Court's attorney. I didn't know the Supreme Court had an attorney, did you? I didn't I was either. surprised. And so he's the, like the gatekeeper. And so he had a case analyst that was assigned to relay the information from his office to us. And that's who was working with us directly as a case analyst, re- telling us what the clerk's office wanted us to do. And the clerk works directly with the justices. And wow. they do research and they, and they counsel the justices. So it's a, they're pretty connected. So there are a lot of elements to this that have given us a lot of hope. This is not just a routine petition, which is, uh, you know, that that are filed this is a this is an exceptionally unusual uh unique uh petition i i i knew of sessions i didn't realize he was an attorney for the supreme court scott sessions harris yeah yeah okay you know who that is then i yeah, yeah but i, I, that, I didn't realize a, that that was what yeah his, i think his, his father was. was a famous baseball umpire for a famous uh really baseball team yeah how funny Interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I'm curious, none of you are lawyers, correct? That is correct. So, and, and I've heard you say that it actually made this smoother, the fact that you didn't bring a lawyer on to this case. So can you explain that? Because I well, think that's really like, hopeful. That means that people, sure. citizens should get involved, right? Yeah. Now, my brother is the, the legal mind behind this. And it's not mm-hmm. like he just took a course and started doing this. Okay. He'd been he'd been working and studying and actually litigating, representing himself for quite a few years in state, federal court. And he actually has two uh, success, successfully docketed petitions to the U.S. Supreme Court. So I wouldn't recommend that someone just 
you know, takes sure. a course and tries to do this. You could, I mean, if you have a lot of time. So he's pretty seasoned. So, no, what what I said, if we had gone to attorneys and said, hey, we want, and let's say we had our complaint completely finished and completed exactly the way it is right now, they made it to the Supreme Court. If we'd taken that finished product to attorneys, they wouldn't have allowed us to file it. They wouldn't have filed it in federal court or state court. They would have said, we've got to get permission from the sergeant in arms and get a waiver to file in a special claims court. See, so right from the get-go, they would have derailed this mm. into the wrong dead-end direction. And that's exactly what, what would have happened because that's what attorneys are trained to do. They believe that the immunity is real and they've never challenged it themselves because that's how they're trained. That's how, that's how they're, they're taught in, in law school is that the status quo is just is absolute. You don't challenge it. Okay, so, but because of my background in studying and publishing uh, concepts about the Constitution and some books about the Constitution and getting into stuff that no one really gets into that are that I say are pretty important, we use that information to convince the courts to allow us to move forward. And so I think it was with the book that you're seeing a little background of behind me, uh, the Constitution of the United States of America for federal, state, and local officials has a lot more than just the Constitution in it. It has Q&A and it has these concepts that we used to prove to the judges and to prove to the U.S. attorneys that we have every right in the world to not go their route that they wanted us to go to the claims court, that we had every right in the world to go into state court, federal court, which is what we did. And that's why we're at the United States Supreme Court right now is because we were able to show them that we have the constitutional right to go and 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 uh, and pursue this in the courts that we chose to pursue it in. That's that huge. Yeah, no, that that's huge. It's interesting what you say about uh, attorneys being trained to uh, accept uh, you know the status quo. I, I think we're seeing that kind of across the board uh, with the quote unquote science. Uh, we've seen that very much. These uh, these very you know very intelligent, very well-trained professionals who have been seeped myopically in a, in a uh, perspective and a, a paradigm, and they can't really see outside of that. Uh, yeah. So I think that the same thing follows for law and probably many other uh, specialties, unfortunately. And yeah, I, I, I would argue livelihood. it's probably by design, you know. Well, to- it's your livelihood, and, you know, you're trained to you do what you're trained to do, right? And right. There are only a few people that think outside of the box. You know, I think of the story of the you know hand washing, how that was rejected, even though the doctor had proof that all these women's lives were being saved. This, the medical community still rejected him, and and just you, you're talking about with the uh, the uh, childbirths, right? That yes, yeah, uh, right. it, they, they, so many were dying in, in birth. Someone, I forgot the doctor's name, but he was so rejected and cast out of the medical community. He was punished and he died uh, an alcoholic and a destroyed man because the medical community was so completely wrong and evil on this. So uh, anyway, imagine telling somebody they shouldn't wash their hands before delivering a baby. That's just a terrible idea. And that was medical science back then. That was the the, science has confirmed. And we've all, we've, we've, We've all consented. Do not wash yeah. your hands. <laughs> yeah. Don't wash your hands. You know, just, gosh. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yep. Um, so I'm still curious uh, uh, on the process of what happens. Let's say, let's say all things go smoothly. I, I, I hope it does. I'm not, you know, yeah. overly convinced just because I, I think our political system is quite uh, corrupt and they, they like to, 
complexify things that don't necessarily need to be uh, quite as complex as they make it. Uh, But I'm curious what happens. Let's say it all goes very smoothly. Now, what's the process then? And what's the time frame for replacing uh, these, uh, these people? Well, I'm not an expert on that, but I'll okay. just give my two cents worth. I think the governors could actually temporarily replace the representatives and they mm-hmm. could call, you know, they could call a recess. They could go out and have a longer extended vacation and there could be some special elections take place. So those vacancies could be filled pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think the government's going to fall apart if the, if the Congress has, a, you know, a little longer recess, right? We would have a new president. I don't know who that would be. It could be the Speaker of the House, the major, you know, majority House leader. It could be the previous president that was did not participate, uh, you know, in the pushback against the investigation. So, but I like to think positively, and I think the main thing that would keep things smooth and pos- positive is the special broadcast teams that would go in and, and report the news. Because I think a lot of people are trusting of the media, of the news, and if they saw broadcast teams come on, they would believe it. They would really say, okay, yeah, it's like, this is not the end of the world. You know, uh, you can still go about your daily business and uh, we're going to have a, you know, we're going to fill those seats. And, you know, mm-hmm. so there might be a few people that would kind of uh, throw a tantrum, but, uh, and there could, if there needs to be some military aid or whatever, but who knows? I just, I believe in miracles. You believe in miracles? Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely in- believe in miracles and I am really yeah. hoping for one that that would be incredible. Um, I think ones? just if nothing else, just for the, uh, you know, the the hope for the future that there could yeah. be yeah. a restoration of self-governance, because yeah. I think that, you know, that, that was the great experiment of this country. Yeah. And I, I do think it was actually lost a long time ago. Yeah. And so this would be really hope to restore that. So. And it's an educate. I like what you said. No matter what happens, we're we're, our, we're raising our level of understanding of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And, and holding our representatives accountable. So good things are happening already. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I definitely believe that. You know, that I think that this is a spiritual battle. And I think the thing that people forget when you talk about a spiritual battle is that, you know, people, people get caught on one side or the other. You know, they get caught in uh, the binary and it's either, you know, the, the white hats have it, the good guys are in charge, just sit back, trust the plan, or they get caught in the other, you know, where they're just so dystopian and completely black pilled and they think it's only, but no, if it's a battle, it takes two to tango, right? So I think both forces are at play and uh, I, I think you are definitely part of the uh, the light forces. So I'm, yeah, really, really grateful well, can you can you imagine if we were just suing Democrats or just suing Republicans? Right, um, I think that is so much. But because we're both are being sued, we haven't received one negative piece of mail. We've received about fifty thousand letters, and okay. nothing negative, nothing negative at all. Wow, no negative messages. That's and amazing. I, I tell people, I tell people, I say, if you have a, a friend that's on the opposite side of the aisle politically, and you've never been able to agree agree on anything. Here's something you can agree on. I'll bet you can find names that they would love to see removed, regardless of their party affiliation. And so it's kind of a, you know, I like to take a positive approach. It could be a win-win situation. And yeah. then if they see the results, I mean, I think there are a lot of Democrats that wish they hadn't voted for the president that brought high gas prices and lockdowns and all that kinds of stuff. And it's like, oh, sure. it's too late now. And so as people see the results of, of stuff that's good and they come around, there's always going to be some... Henri people. <laughs> sure. 
Well, I sure. do think I love that this is a uh, you know nonpartisan. Uh, I honestly just think that our federal government is so incredibly corrupt. Uh, I don't think that it's uh, you know I don't think that one party is really uh, doing their their duty no. and honoring their oaths. You know, there there are individuals who may be. Uh, and I think that there is, you know, kind of a lie of what they this is where the term rhino comes from is, you know, the Republican name only. But I don't really even think that that's accurate because they I think they're just equally corrupt. It may, it may be better to say that they're I don't love this term either, but they they act more as controlled opposition than they really do as rhinos because they because they advance the agendas and the narratives that are being uh you know, the, the line of effort is going through the Democratic Party. Uh, and I think that's only because the Democratic Party has aligned with the Communist Party. Uh, you know, back in 1919, uh, they officially had a, an alignment, uh, you know, from uh, over a century ago now. So I think that's the reason why the, the line of effort goes directly through there. Uh, but I think that the you know, many of the Republicans have been just as complicit because it, whether it's due to, uh, you know, bribery or uh, grift, you know, grifting or blackmailing, whatever it may be. Uh, and unfortunately, the line of effort is coming from above our government. I think it's coming from the, you know, the players behind uh, the Great Re Reset and uh, the globalist agenda. And this, I think, could be a huge thwart, at least a a you know, an attempt to slow roll that, if not, you know, thwart it completely. Um, so that's hopeful. What are your thoughts on any Absolutely. of that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, you make some good points there. It's almost like I heard a story. Someone says, if, if there's one lawyer in a small town, he goes broke. But if you bring another one, but they both get rich, you know, and it's like making us think that, that the, the party's going to save us when they're actually in a way they're, they're, they're this pump just pumping us dry and it's mm -hmm. like they're, they're all working with each other almost whether they're intentionally or not making right. us think that we can rely upon our representatives and it's like we can't it's like i'm sure a lot of people were shocked when they saw their representatives uh, refuse a 10-day investigation i mean ted cruz and josh holly those are good men and they wanted an investigation and then people like mike mike lee and mitt romney and you know others didn't want an investigation and they're they're saying we have to just just have to, you know, go through with this because the Constitution requires us to do it. It's like, no, it doesn't. Fraud vitiates everything. You don't certify something unless you know it's real. Where does that statement come from? Because I remember that being echoed in, you know, early 2020 of after the election, the fraud vitiates everything. And a lot of people were, were arguing there there's no basis for this and that it's just conspiracy talk, theory talk. Uh, you know, which is a way of shutting down any discussion. So that got shut down and attacked yeah. quite mercilessly. So I'm well, curious where the uh, premise for that is. Well, that's a, I think that's a pretty common legal term and it's just mm -hmm. common sense too. Sure. I mean, for, for the, think about, think about the complaints. Oh, they're election deniers. Mm -hmm. Well then if you're so worried about election deniers, why don't you have an investigation then and put it to rest? I mean, you created this, and who are the election deniers? Mm -hmm. The election deniers are the very ones who are claiming the others are election deniers. It's like the Sololinsky rules are for radicals, right? It's like, hey, we ought to just get that out and read it, you know, maybe. Maybe we ought to, some of these podcasts, just read that and show that uh, the people like Hillary Clinton, that they idolize this, this, this book, 
this person, and that it's it's all about strategy and it has nothing to do about morality, and it's all about accusing the person of doing what you're doing and attacking individuals. It's all just it's psych- psychological warfare is what it mm-hmm. is. And that's another thing. It's like uh, governments, all all governments that have armies have a psychological warfare department. And what has our media turned into? Because because we didn't hold our directors of the FCC accountable for their oath. They've turned into a psyops for the enemy. And uh, and so, uh, what is an act of war? An act of war is, and this is in our petition. An act of war is putting a different government in place than what is what is rightfully belonging to you know, to that, uh, that country. And that's what's happened here is potentially, you know, it needs to be investigated. This, if, if it's investigated and found that, that what we're, who we're supposed to have as president wasn't supposed to be, and the Congress wasn't supposed to be, but think about it, the all, they're all violating their oath of office. So that's an, that's an act of war too, by, by having a bunch of. Definitely an act of treason for sure. Yeah, our representatives, they know that it's like, you could, you could ask a representative, say, doesn't Article 6 require binding oath? How's it binding? Like I asked the candidates, and they say, I should have just stopped right there when, when the candidate says, oh, you'll lose the election. Okay, let's talk about this. You, you want to repeat what you just said? This is serious stuff. And so uh, it's an act of war in a way. And that's uh, under an, an act of treason, war, I, I would say, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Treason is giving aid and cover to enemies of the United States, which would bring war against you. So... Right. Anyway. Right. Yeah. No, that that's a very, very good point. Um, so I, yeah, I have several questions from that. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, which one to ask first, but uh, I think to go back to uh, this, uh, the, the standing for this uh, when I, because I think some people have thought that this was about an executive order, uh, you know, the Trump had uh Issued, I think it was in uh, 2018 regarding, you know, any uh, uh, interference, domestic or foreign. Uh, but you're really saying that this is goes w- way beyond that. This is just well, a violation of the Constitution because they didn't uphold their oath. Standing was never a term used by the U.S. attorneys. I mean, if people have mm-hmm. a question about standing or a comment mm-hmm. about standing, I want them to go to 7discoveries.com and download the full complaint. Mm-hmm. And also go to the docket and uh, download the petition. You can see the, the motion to dismiss. You'll see that the defense had nothing to do with standing. It was jurisdiction and it was uh, uh, absolute immunity. Okay. As a matter of fact, when my case was being blocked, and we decided to sue the federal courts and state court. We used documents from my brother's case that's now in front of the Supreme Court as evidence that we could uh, that we could proceed without a trial in state court. We call it, it was a we filed a full summary judgment motion based on documents that they created admitting wrongdoing. Okay, so it was all immunity. It's funny the U.S. attorneys kind of came on as special counsel. They sort of. It's like that we're representing, but we're not representing the defendants. But we are, but we're not. It's really confusing. And uh, so that got fixed pretty quickly with my case and then also with my brother's case. So if anyone has any really technical terms about Mm -hmm. standing or jurisdiction or mean anything like that, they can go to the docket. They probably are an attorney and they they have have PACER. They can look up every single document having to do with that. And just the petition, you can can order. You can go to SupremeCourt.gov and download the petition. And see that motion to dismiss, and you'll see the word "standing's" not even in there for the defense. Wow, that's that's really interesting because that's what the media kept parroting. 
It was that it was about standing. So at least that's what I heard. But no, not about your case, uh, about why they uh, refused the investigation. Um, yeah, we well, talking about other cases. I'm not familiar with any of the cases. No, no, yeah. I, I, but I think just in, uh, I, I think maybe it might have been Trump's cases or uh, there were Those a few were cases. Outcome. Those right. were all about outcome. And it's mm -hmm. interesting because three of the justices voted in favor of those cases. Mm. And, three, and the Trump appointed justices voted against. Isn't that interesting? That's very interesting. Yeah. So Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett voted against the Trump related Supreme Court cases, but uh, Alito and Thomas and Roberts voted yes. So we have a whole new set of circumstances with the justices. And so we feel like uh, there's a much greater opportunity now than if this case had been brought both uh, forward a year ago, or two years ago. Right. Because so of the threats. Yeah. Be because of uh, what? So where exactly does it stand now? I know it's potentially to, it's to go to conference the sixth. That's yeah. That's remember, an emergency petition gives the, the 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 Supreme Court the full power to go right into the full complaint, and mm -hmm. without conference, without anything being exposed to the public, adjudicate this whole case. Right. Okay. They could probably, I'm just guessing, meet with the Solicitor General who signed a waiver. I mean, since this is just about the oath of office, it's not a, about an, an, any interpretation or about mm -hmm. any outcome, and right. no, nothing political. It, to me, I think it's very possible that it could be a nine to zero on this. Otherwise, they go down in history as voting against the Constitution and the oath. Because think about it, there's no, no political ramification. It's not correct, characterized in any way, in any, way, in any interpretation of the Constitution. It's completely clean from any kind of possible uh, accusations of bias having to do with a political party. So this is a mm. this extremely unusual case, and I think it gives them the full latitude to completely adjudicate it. Which means wow. it could be happening right now; we wouldn't even know it. But if they follow if they follow the docket, then then the sixth of January, uh, then the nine justices will go in by themselves. No representing from our side, no representing from the defendant's side, mm -hmm. and they can they take a vote. And they've been reviewing this; it was distributed to them for conference a couple of weeks ago, I guess. And uh, then they can they can take the vote. And if if four out of the nine say we're moving this forward to a to a hearing, oh my gosh, that would be very exciting. That very exciting. And then the press would explode. Sure. Then, the press, then it's like then it's yeah. It's now it's like it's made it through the most difficult. It's now it goes to trial, basically. Right. So what happens if it doesn't? I mean, I want to be really hopeful and optimistic. I, I want the full trial. I, I think the American public, uh, yeah. the people deserve that. The, the citizens yeah. deserve that. Uh, yeah. The Constitution, I think, uh, warrants that. But what if it doesn't? What What is the, uh, yeah. you know, worst case oh, scenario that well, could happen? It, it could actually be a good thing. I mean, there's okay. there's kind of a silver lining with everything here. And so yeah. what we do is we file a motion for reconsideration. And it gives... It gives us another month or so to raise awareness so that the people, we the people, can continue writing friend, friendly letters to the court, mm -hmm. the encouragement and support to make the right decision. Now, remember, I also have, I'm the plaintiff on the exact same case in federal court that has not been dismissed. And we can move that forward at any time as well. So the battle's not over. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah. So we're, yeah, we're, we're in this for the, for the battle. Yeah, no, that's so brilliant that you brought forth uh, multiple cases. 
So I just to give people a little sense of empowerment, you know, I, I say I like to inform, inspire, and empower. Uh, I I'm really fascinated by I know you said that, you know, your brother has a lot of uh, legal experience and he's also done, you know, tremendous due diligence. So he's he's had the time and the uh you know the the history to uh bring this forth, but I it it does seem very uh accessible that you are bringing this forth so I, what what how how did this come about like what is it that i mean you've clearly been studying the constitution for a long time what what brought you guys on this path since you well, weren't a, lawyers that, that's a good question it was really my brother darren but i had had constitutional background i got uh, interested in the constitution and started writing and uh, and self-publishing books you know for the last you know quite a few years and so it's interesting. Uh, I'll say my brother, Darren, has a, like a $50,000 printer. Okay, so it's not like, you know, <laughs> so he's, I mean, he's a very serious-minded, I mean, he might as well have a law degree. But uh, he, he really just had a, he said as a child, he remembers seeing the Black's Law Dictionary in my father's, uh, uh, you know, library. And it's like, my father wasn't an attorney, he was a school teacher, and but he was just drawn to that. So my brother was experiencing some negative things like a lot of people were with the subprime um, mortgage bundling and it's like gosh he was thinking here my property was worth something and now it's like going through the floor i had all this equity and now i'm upside down right so he got into suing banks and he he was he, i remember him telling me it's like you can't they can't even prove they own the mortgage because of how messed up this is you can't actually show who owns the mortgage because of the way they bundled it. It was illegal and whatever. So anyway, so he was able to push back in some cases and have some wins. And he has two petitions at the Supreme Court. If you Google his name, uh, Darren G. Brunson, you'll find his petitions on, at the Supreme Court. So he had all this experience. And so so he's ready for, if this moves forward to conference, I mean, he's ready to do a, you know, to, to take it all the way. <laughs> That's that. awesome. So, anyway. And what got you interested in uh, reading the Constitution and writing the book? Uh, well, I think it started with, with Barack Obama when he said the Constitution was fundamentally flawed. I think that's really what got me going. If he hadn't said that, I don't think I would have got into it. And as I started reading the Constitution, uh, it was really difficult at first. It was like, oh, uh, because you want to, when you, you know, the way I was, it's like I want to understand every word, right? But you can't do it that way. And so, I just kept moving forward, and when I got to the president's oath after hearing President Obama uh, say the Constitution was fundamentally flawed and seeing it in print, you know, I'd heard it and I knew what it was, but to see it in print, it's like he completely violated his oath when he said that he told the world it was fundamentally flawed. Can you imagine having a defense attorney and gets up in front of the judge and saying, well, my client is fundamentally flawed? It's like you'd fire his butt, right? Totally. And then you'd refer him to the state bar association for, you know, for to have him removed from the bar. And so here he is saying that stuff. So I started reading the constitution, finding things that I'd never heard of before that were pretty wild. And I thought everyone that had read the constitution knew these things. And I found out that they didn't. I, I, after I'd studied for a while, I had these concepts that I couldn't find anywhere else had published. And I met with the owner of the national center for constitutional studies and they had printed 57 million copies of the Constitution. And I told him what I'd found. And I said, you know, do other people, you know, know this too? And he says, no. He says, I've never heard this before. We want to publish this as well. 
And so they wanted to publish my stuff. And I thought, no, I'll just do my own pocket constitution included in that. And so that's what I have at sevendiscoveries.com. And so, and then I started speaking. I ran for public office a couple of times to give me an opportunity to teach people about these concepts. Like how many people know that there's a, uh, that there's an interpretation clause in the constitution that I, I, no one's ever said that before, that there's a clause in the Constitution that requires, that demands the Constitution only be interpreted in ways that protect your God-given unalienable rights. Have you ever heard that before? No. And w- what That's is that? That's one of my discoveries. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so the first 10 amendments were defined by Congress as further declaratory and restrictive clauses to the seven articles. So I don't like the, the title Bill of Rights. It's like, to me, that's a cloak. It covers the real power of those 10 amendments. And so the Ninth Amendment is very clear. When I read it, I thought to me, I thought, this is the voice of God. This is actually God speaking through the Constitution. It's just one sentence. But the words were like it was one of the Ten Commandments that has the word shall not in it. And it goes like this. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people no misconstruing the constitution of the united states or any parts thereof in ways that would deprive the rights the unalienable rights of the people to benefit those members of congress or members of government and so to me it's like what a brilliant like what a brilliant clause to put in a contract you know if you have a will ever it's like put something in that if any interpretation is used of this document to deprive Courtney, of what is owed her, what is right, want her to have. It's a misinterpretation of the document. Isn't that clever? Isn't that brilliant? It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of my discoveries. The other thing has to do with some of my other discoveries have to do with taxation. And I don't want to get into that because that creates and and gold and silver and borrowing and all that stuff. So I don't want to get into that. We could go on for hours. That's really Mm -hmm. controversial. Right. Well, maybe we will uh, we'll, we'll revisit that after okay. this is all sure. settled a little right. bit. Yeah, I would sure. love to because that's something I'm really passionate about. I okay. think that people, I think it's a huge scam, quite honestly, yeah. and I think people have been really lied to about yeah. it. So, um, and unfortunately, they then take our money and they use it to weaponize against the people instead of uh, protecting right. us, which is what they claim that it's for. So, that's right. Yeah, so that that's definitely a topic of interest for me, and uh, I'm sure my audience as well. Yeah, I've met with members of Congress about this who are on the same page as I am, and and some economists are on the same page. So we can have some real interesting discussions about that. Fantastic, we will. Um, I do want to clar- clar- clarify, clarify, if I could speak, um, <laughs> a couple of things that you you had mentioned Rule 11, and then you said that you didn't end up using it. Can you uh, well, explain see, what it what is? is it- we we when the 10th circuit court of appeals wouldn't make a decision you cannot take it from there to the supreme court you have to wait for their decision right so after four months of them sitting on it we found that there was a supreme court rule 11 that if we can convince the supreme court that it's a national emergency they'll let us bypass the 10th circuit court okay they'll let us completely bypass the circuit court so that was a hell mary so we put a rule 11 together and you have to perfect bind it. They want a perfect bound. There's a certified word count. I mean, it's a complex, but condensed and, and not a lot of, a lot of uh, words, uh, uh, petition. So we got it off to them, hoping that they would accept it as a national emergency. So five days after we overnight mailed it, 
we got a phone call from the clerk's office. The case analyst called us and said that they had decided to accept it with as a Rule 11, as a national emergency, as not needing to get the 10th Circuit Court's decision. So when that happened, that really blew our minds. We were extremely excited about that. So we went ahead and started preparing it because they asked us to add additional stuff into it. They asked mm-hmm. us to add, you know, the motion to dismiss and, you know, some other things from the docket. So we went ahead and started redoing it. And while we were redoing it, just about the time we were going to send it or get it a perfect bound, the 10th Circuit made a decision. And it's like, well, now we don't need the Rule 11. We can, we, you know, the Rule 11 is only to bypass the court. It's not, it right. doesn't mean it's not a national emergency anymore. It's just to to speed it up and get it to them because the Supreme Court has the full power to to decide whether it's a national emergency or not. And just because the Tenth Circuit Court makes a decision does not mean it's not a national emergency, does not mean it is. And so the fact that they had already characterized it as a national emergency, we thought, well, now that the Tenth Circuit's made a decision, we better call the analyst and ask what we should do. And we called and says, you don't need it. Just take that out. Remember to put what we asked to put in it because see, we hadn't even had it bound yet. So it's not like we could just send it off to them. So it's like, don't do it. You know, just eliminate those papers. You don't need it. And so it's just unnecessary. It was still emergency. And so we put it all together and uh, just as they asked. And, uh, and then, and then, uh, this is a very interesting part. Both times that they, that they told us to get it to them, they asked us if we could get it to them quickly. They kind of put pressure on us both times to get it to them quickly. But the second time they asked us, they said, now, how soon can you get this to us? My brother said two weeks. And they says, well, can you get it to us sooner than two weeks? And my brother says, well, we'll see what we can do. And they says, okay, do whatever you can. Try to get it to us sooner. We'd really like to have it sooner. And so we got it a week early. The printers were great. The binders were great. Got it a week early to them. We sent it on a Thursday. They received that on a Friday. They docketed on the Monday following the Friday and they showed that it was filed the day we sent it and showed that it was received the 24th, but filed the 20th. So obviously they file, they show it filed the day we sent it. And then they sent the documents to my brother telling him to please get the waiver to the U S attorneys and ask them if they'll sign the waiver. So here's the Supreme court asking us to get the U S attorneys to sign a waiver. Okay, Uh waiving their right. And because we had put in the motion to dismiss, my brother called them after sending it to him and says, hey, we put your motion to dismiss in there. So why don't you just sign the waiver? Because we've got your material in there. It's not like, you know, you're not going to have some kind of a representation there in the documents. And so they didn't do anything until the deadline. Over 30 days later, November 23rd rolls around. The U.S. attorneys haven't done a thing. They haven't signed a waiver. They haven't asked for an extension. They've done nothing. And then we check the docket the day before Thanksgiving. It's like hours before the deadline. Uh, what do we see on the docket? We see the U.S. attorneys are no longer representing the 380 defendants. The United States Solicitor General has now come on board as the attorney of record representing the 380 defendants. And she also files the waiver. She signs and files the waiver, waiving her defendant's right to oppose it before conference. She signs that. She doesn't ask for an extension. She doesn't uh, oppose it. She files a waiver. So that is a very cool, exciting part of this, too. And everyone can explain everything away, right? But now this stuff, this stuff is really good. So then it's docketed. 
uh, for a conference at January 6th. And why did they pick January 6th? Now, they usually do they usually do Fridays, okay? And 2023, January 6th happens to fall on a Friday. What are the chances of that? Wow. Okay? So there are a lot of amazing uh, miracles, I say, little miracles that have happened along the way to, I think, encourage us, to encourage people that are learning about this. It's almost like the Lord's kind of, kind of sprinkling yeah. some hope among us that some good stuff is going to happen. And so oh, I think we need to think no matter what happens, no matter what happens, we need to realize the Lord's bigger than it all. I mean, he's the production, he's the producer of this whole thing and he's going to work his magic, his miracles and not to get disappointed, not to get, you know, believe in him and know that he's listening to our prayers and we're going to, we're in this fight together and we're going to prevail. Ah, oh, well, I'm into that. Um, I'm curious about uh, DNI Radcliffe and his report, and because you've talked about the national emergency component, and uh, that would imply that there is some either foreign or domestic interference. And does his report come into play in any of this? Well, no, we're we're talking about the Supreme Court's mm-hmm. uh, uh, interpretation of it being if it has national interest or national implication, right. they can qualify it as such. That would be different than say. Uh, the government is declaring a national emergency. Sure, but, uh, but I'm yeah, just so, wondering if that has any if that has any role or if that's its yeah. Completely. We have you know what the the Supreme Court has the full power to do everything as a sealed case. They can completely seal this. It could be tonight things could happen and we wouldn't know about it. And the fact that it is has been characterized as a national emergency case, mm-hmm. they it would be it would make sense that they would not go public with this. I think the most the most public thing they can do was set a date of January 6th. Everything else is we're completely in the dark. They don't need us. They don't need, they might be working with a solicitor general. She might be uh, mm-hmm. supporting uh, their position since so she signed a waiver. Who knows what the communication is between her and the justices. Wow. So what will we know and when will we know anything? You know, as much as I do right now, we 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 are completely in the dark, you know. Wow. Something happens. I mean, it's possible something could happen, and we would be notified, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we would know something. But right now, we don't have any secrets. Wow. So after January six, what what is it that we could look for? What would be a well, sign okay. of? Let's say nothing happens. Let's say that yeah. uh, that we don't see new people on the news. Right. Six. And uh, on the 6th in the afternoon, let's see, it's a Friday, so it'd either be the 6th or it'd be the 9th, right? Uh, on a Monday where we would see the docket reflecting the decision from conference. And mm-hmm. if it shows uh, that it's uh, rejected, then we go forward with a, with a uh, motion for reconsideration and we encourage people to write letters to the court to supporting a, a bigger groundswell for them to make the right decision. I'll, I'll be surprised. I mean, every, anything's going to surprise. At this point, it's like we're we're so far into this that there's no return, right? You can't turn around and go back home. It's like this is they've accepted it, they've docketed it, they've you know all these things have happened. So it's kind of a tense time, uh, mm-hmm. waiting to see what is going to happen. But we're prepared. I, I think we're more prepared if it doesn't happen than if it does happen. It's like what do you do? You just keep your seatbelt fastened and. And uh, thank the Lord that some miracles are happening in a big way. For sure. For for sure. Um, so 
because you're saying that this is closed and so therefore it's it's completely separate. What do do they say what the grounds are that they've uh, declared this to be a national emergency? No, they or- can't. They nope, they don't. They're not obligated to have any kind of a press release or press conference or expose anything. All we know is what they've told us they wanted and what they've accepted. They're very tight-lipped. I mean, and that makes sense. They're not sure. going to you know what happened when there was an opinion released of Roe versus Wade? Yeah. So we kind of have to, you know, didn't Jesus uh, kind of criticize some disciples for saying, you you can tell what's going to happen by the weather by looking at the skies, the color of the skies and everything, but you can't see the time, signs of the time. So mm-hmm. all we can do is go by the signs that have happened, the January 6th, accepting it as a national emergency. The justices that are in place to do something uh, that have done something before, and the additional three that wouldn't have done something now, but just participated in overturning Roe versus Wade. And there are a ton of incredible coincidences that you just can't chalk up to coincidence uh, that right. you could say would make you believe that something really good is about to happen. And uh, so that's I, all we can do, right? And then we no, just, uh, for sure. I well, I really do. Pardon. And fa- fasten our seatbelts. And fasten our seatbelts. Yeah. Well, I, I'm certainly prepared to fasten my seatbelt for a good ride. That that would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'd like to prepare people, though. So you had talked about how, uh, you know, these people are master of strategy. You brought up Saul Linsky, who, you know, I, I know there's been debate about whether it was an actual homage to Lucifer, but he, he did have a you were saying we should read that there's that clause in there where he talks about how, you know, he was uh Lucifer was the master himself of uh, the deception. And uh, we, we should take a cue uh, in, in advocacy from him. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, it, it, it does seem kind of like, so I'm just curious, what, what are, do you think the, uh, the strategy from the uh, opposition might be uh, to try and interfere uh, and uh, what, and then what, what would be the next steps from there? Well, uh, you know, when, when David uh, went out in front of Goliath, I think he had a bunch of armor on, he threw the armor off. He thought I could mm-hmm. go, you know, I put bears and lines with this. And, w- and what did Goliath do? He, he got pretty upset. He was pretty insulted. So I think the first thing he did was throw off his helmet. And then he went charging towards David to stomp him into the ground. And so he made a wrong move. I think I, <laughs> I think if, if any of the, the opposition hears about this, they're going to think it's another tin hat crazy thing. And they're going to laugh it off. Right now they're partying during the holidays and uh, celebrating. And I just think it's like a thief in the night kind of a thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. And then again, there are a lot more opportunities for Democrats to replace uh, their representatives. So that's a much more positive. This is a much more positive thing for the left than it is mm-hmm. for the right because there are much more opportunities for, for jobs uh, and as representatives, but they might want to think twice before they step into that position, right? And they may not, and then they might find themselves being held accountable civilly by uh, by their constituents where they weren't able to before. But I'm thinking even right now, there might be uh, people going to their lawyers and showing them videos of me speaking or whatever and talking about this case and saying, let's not do a claims court. I want to do it the way the Brunson's did. It's like, okay, let's file in federal court or file in state court. So this is already, I think, maybe opening up some doors for some pushback, uh, holding our representatives accountable where they've never been so before. Wow, that's fantastic uh, to think about that prospect because I typically think of the you know federal system as being a 
you know, so far gone in, you know, in, in terms of corruption that there isn't as much hope there. Uh, but you're actually advocating for the opposite, that there's hope well, to sure. just go straight to. Well, well sure. My federal judge uh, was an Obama appointee. He's the chief justice of Utah. Okay. okay. And he ordered the U.S. Marshal Service. Uh, or at least the clerks did, to serve my summons complaint. He ca called it back and canceled my complaint, but we took him to state court. We took him to, to the 10th Circuit and state court. So what did he do? What did this Obama-appointed judge do that had blocked my case? He filed it. He unblocked it and ordered it filed and ordered the clerk of the court to issue the summonses and complaints or issue the summonses. So there's a victory right there. So that yeah. could be happening. That's a, that's, it's like, hey, folks, Go if you have a problem with uh, voting with the uh, with fraudulent stuff going on with your representatives, take a civil action against them. Download the complaint at sevendiscoveries.com. It might be a pretty good template to show your lawyers, right? And yeah. go into federal court or state court. Don't even think twice about going to you know a claims court and getting permission from the sergeant in arms. We didn't do it and it's working. So don't do this claims court garbage anymore. Go into court and start holding them accountable. Yeah. And that is such a testament to the checks and balances of the state versus federal, which is how the Constitution was so brilliantly designed. So and well, you yeah, just executed it. Yeah, think about that. So I'm suing two federal courts. I mean, the federal court of Utah and the 10th circuit court. I'm, I'm taking them to state court. And they agreed to litigate there. They actually told the judge through their pleadings that they would file an opposition to the full summary judgment motion that we had filed if the judge allowed the case to move forward. So the judge actually had the state court judge actually had the power to move this action forward in state court. And think about it. The federal courts, if they had lost, I, if they had lost, they could have taken it to the appellate court. If they'd lost against me there, they could have taken it to the state Supreme Court. And if they lost it there, then they could be right in their federal court, the United States Supreme Court. So there wouldn't be a big problem with the, with a, a Tenth Amendment issue, would there? Because they ended up in federal court anyway, the U.S. Supreme Court. So that was an opportunity that our state court judge, I think, just missed an incredible opportunity. He should have adjudicated it was a $5.8 billion case because when someone gets in the way of you filing a lawsuit, they're accountable for the monetary damages, regardless of the merits of the case, regardless of where there's any proof you deserve that money or not. If they get in the way, they're liable for that base amount. And so we were suing the two federal courts for $2.9 billion each. And the judge, the state court judge could have ruled in our favor. And he didn't. He would have made history. It would have been incredible, but he didn't do that. There's actually an opportunity for me to bring that back alive because of things that happened. So mm -hmm. this is so it's opened up opportunities for us, and uh, it's just it's just uh, there are opportunities that are opening up right now as we speak. I think around the country, who knows what's going on? Amazing. Well, how do people uh, get involved uh, individually? How do they support you in the case? And yeah, well, they can go to sevendiscoveries.com and they can mm -hmm. actually. Um, that can actually order a physical, an actual copy of what the justices use. And we have the stamps of the court on it because we downloaded the face so we can put it on. So people would have a chance to, to order for $30. They can do that and get an exact replica. If they want it signed uh, for if, if they have deep pockets, if they want it signed and dated of the signatures of the mm -hmm. Brunson brothers for a thousand dollars, they can do that. And uh, seven discoveries.com and they can, uh, uh, they can download other things and the money 
money helps us out. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, they can also write letters to the, and I think there's something on sevendiscoveries.com where if they want to write a friend of the court letter, they can do okay. that. Copy. So sevendiscoveries.com would have a lot of that information. Awesome. And what, what do you advise people to do to be, to, to start taking more action and to hold their elected uh, representatives accountable? I'll say read the Constitution. Get get the book. Get the. I'm out of them right now. We're waiting for a okay. shipment. Hopefully, in the next few days, we'll okay. have those. And uh, we're going to give discounts for volume discounts. But this pocket Constitution has the ammunition because it highlights the clauses. It uh, identify. It has Q and A in it to help us understand how to use. Here's another one of the discoveries. If you were to ask any of our representatives to show you a clause, just one clause, one simple, clear cut clause in the mm -hmm. Constitution that prohibits socialism. They wouldn't be able to do it unless they have my book. So I say, go to Seven Discoveries, get my book. And it's one of those. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go Have on. you ever heard a representative reference a clause to push back against socialism? No. Why? I, I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe because most yeah. of them haven't read it. <laughs> I think. Well, it's like they should, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't I, know for sure, but it seems like I, they may not have, or they're not, I, or at least not recently. Well, well, no, they don't. We hear about the Second Amendment. First, we hear about a, a lot of other protections, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, they should be able to. Uh, I was I was on a podcast, and we were uh, there was a a pretty high profile person. I won't name his name, and okay. we said is a. Is socialism unconstitutional? And he says, well, unfortunately, this constitution is not adequate enough to protect us from socialism. And so I had to get my book out and school him a bit. And he and he changed his position like in five minutes, he says. And then at the end, he says, I guess you can't defend the constitution if you don't know what's in it. Right. And so, yeah, the last line of the Fifth Amendment, remember, the first 10 amendments are defined by Congress as further declaratory and restrictive clauses to the constitution. The last line of the Fifth Amendment states, nor shall private property be taken for public use. Your private property includes your money. Be taken for public use without just compensation. And people will say, well, public use is your just compensation. Well, then why does it say, why is it worded the way it is? No. <laughs> you know, when you have your property eminent domain, you know, you don't get to drive on the road. That's not your payment. So, but it's not just eminent domain. This is if you have your money taken from you for public use, which is socialism without just compensation, that's obvious. Mm -hmm. That's an obvious pushback. There are political reasons why that clause isn't used and it's not good. And so I expose that and help people understand. And that connects us back again to money. And when a trillion dollars is created out of thin air by the Federal Reserve, that's supposed to be pure profit for the Treasury. They're nonprofit, right? And yep. they're only supposed to keep their operating expenses and they're embezzling trillions upon trillions. The Federal Reserve has embezzled more trillions, far more trillions of dollars than our than would ex than our federal debt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they're 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 neither yeah. federal or public yeah. or uh, serving yeah. us. They're they're so private I, entity. I, I, I'm going where I wasn't going to go, but that's right. A, so that's an, another of the discoveries. But there are a lot of great questions and answers in the back of that book. So I, I suggest people, and I'm going to get a bunch. Uh, I think we're getting 11,000 more printed, and we're just going to do a bunches of them. I had 10,000. I'm out. So we're going to get these out there and let people have those power clauses right at their fingertips so they can hold their representatives accountable. Fantastic. And speaking of holding the elected representatives accountable, I, I think it starts with the, the you know, election process. I think that that's uh, people can start with yes. vetting their 
elected yeah. officials much better. So uh-huh. if, if we're going to be super hopeful and optimistic that, you know, all goes super smooth and uh, we're going to be replacing these uh, 387 people, then what do you advise people to do like in their process to ensure that we're not just replacing them with uh, another corrupt bevy? Well, like I said, they're accountable now. I think there are lawsuits right. that have already started. You know, if someone mm-hmm. is messing around with the, the, the committing fraud, mm-hmm. lying about what's happening with the voting machines and they have responsibility over them, whether it's on a local level or high le- higher level, right. you can bring civil action against them and ask for, uh, ask for monetary damages from them. You know, sure. people, class action suits. So that I think this that would com- I'm sorry. When these people are removed from office, believe me, the people taking their places are going to know that why they're re- why they were removed. And right. they're not going to put themselves in a position to do the same thing. So I think what's going to happen is uh, okay. up. We have a security guard now at the candy store. OK, uh-huh. can't go in and grabbing the candy anymore. There's a guy watching, you know, I think it's going to okay. be kind of like that where people are just going to look for other ways to exploit uh, their speaking abilities than mm. doing through public office, uh, taking advantage of uh, we the people. I hope so. So you're saying that uh, that's going to kind of act as a bit of a, a bulwark against the corruption, just knowing that why they've been replaced and why they're coming into office. I, oh, I was really, uh, yeah, let's hope so. I, I mean, yeah. I was asking more in terms of how do we, uh, you know, find the best people to replace them. Oh. Oh, I don't think it's going to be that difficult because they've been okay. pushed out. There are people that have wanted to run for office but won't because of the corruption. Mm-hmm, and when they sure. hear this, I mean, millions of people are already hearing about this. Millions, millions yeah. of people. And so when they see, oh, my gosh, uh, the oath, is this is going to filter people out. And okay. then it's going to provide an opportunity for those that really want to serve. You know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, so, people want people are willing to lay down their lives for this country, but they refuse to get involved in politics. Why is that? It's because the corruption has pushed them out because they cannot they cannot participate in an honest constitutional way because of the corruption. So we start sh- pushing back against that. And that's what this is doing. The opportunities will open up and you'll have people that will not be afraid of taking a binding oath. Uh, I was working with someone to pass a bill several years ago to add mm-hmm. penalties to the Oval Office. It's kind of a, a band-aid kind of a thing. Right. And they presented it to one of our well-known state representatives. And the, re- the knee-jerk reaction was beautiful. He says, wait, you mean, you mean if I violated the Constitution, I could be held accountable? Those were his words. It's like, wow. yeah, right on, brother. Right on. So, uh, yeah, so it would like uh, then get out of politics. If you're afraid of that, then you shouldn't be in politics. And so I really do think that it would it would change the, the political landscape mm-hmm. in a really incredible way. It may t- take some time, but we might see some pretty quick changes. So but at least it's the, uh, put in the right direction. All right. And uh, you, you think that they, uh, because of the nature of this case and the way that uh, it's already been set up, that they don't really have much uh, a chance of uh, obfuscation or, you know, uh, averting this, that they have to at least well, hear they've it. Already, they've already, their, their attorney already filed a waiver. Okay. Right. I've, we've been fighting this fight for over two years. Why didn't, yeah. why weren't we called by any of the defendants? Why right. didn't they call and ask to settle? Yeah. Because they're uh, because they've got immunity, and this yeah. is maybe just not a serious thing to them. They don't need to be concerned about it, you know. Right. And so, 
So when things happen, then it's going to be like, it's kind of like when someone loses a position, it's like they lose the attention. You know, it shifts to someone else. It's like, wait, wait, I, I, I'm Chuck Schumer. I'm Chuck Schumer. It's like, well, you were a congressman, but you're not now, so you're irrelevant. So we don't want to talk to you. We don't want to deal with you. We don't need to deal with you, you know. You know, best right. of luck in your new career, you know. It's like when someone loses, the, well, you know, it's they or lose their position or they are no longer in office. It's like uh, the attention shifts in a big way to the new people. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I know. I feel like I, I, I'm being redundant, but I, I know that people are, that people are probably a little bit uh, cynical and skeptical just because uh, they, they do feel like they have immun- immunity. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think they're, they're going to, uh, I, I'm just trying to preemptively answer people's questions. If they're, sure. if they're thinking, well, why don't they still have immunity? What's the difference now? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. even their immunity doesn't cover a lot of the things they did. And we, in our pleadings, I believe we show that even their immunity doesn't cover what they did uh, with uh, rejecting a 10-day investigation. So right. it's like, it's about, you know, it's like Jefferson said again, if we, if we don't know how to hold our representatives' feet to the fire, we'll never hold them accountable. Right. And if we don't know what the, what the Constitution is, it's like the judge that told me I couldn't file my case. Well, we took him to court and we won. Right. Basically, he changed his mind because we knew the Constitution. We showed him the Constitution, federal and state, that we had every right in in the world to do it. And is he going to go down saying no? I mean, this is docketed. His 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 decisions are docketed. Does he want to go down uh, now that we've shown him? I mean, if you if you it's like uh, if you show people their contract, then you can hold them accountable. Right. But if you don't show them, if you don't know the contract. And so that's, I think, what basically we're doing. We're showing the justices the contract that the representatives had that they violated. We're showing them the meat. We're showing them the Constitution, Article 6. We're showing them, you know, this, this obvious, you know, flagrant violation that, that they can see clearly. And so without question. Right. Wow. Well, thank you so much for everything you're doing. If you have anything else that you want to add or impart, please do. And of course, uh, you know, direct them to your site and how they can support you. But thank you so much for everything. Thank you, Courtney. And yeah. thanks uh, thanks to Tina Horlocker for... Yeah, for connecting yeah. us. Exactly. She's she's great. So yeah, I just say 7discoveries.com. There's a link there where you can uh, go and actually see all the cases from the docket. You can see uh, it's like in real time update of what's happening, you know, mm-hmm. with this petition. And there's a lot of stuff you can uh, do at sevendiscoveries.com. We're going to keep adding stuff. Fantastic. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll we'll reconvene. I guess people should stay, uh, keep uh, uh, go to the site and uh, keep abreast of what's going on and where this proceeds. It's super super exciting and could really change the course of history. So, yeah, it could. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm definitely praying for that for sure. <laughs> that would right. be incredible. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you again. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for spending the time with me today. And uh, we'll definitely stay in touch because I want to do one on the yeah. the taxes and the, the financial end of things, because that I think, you know, this could change a lot of that potentially too, oh, uh, which would be huge. Because yeah. if, if it goes one way, if it goes in the direction it's going, 
our, our the the course of financial uh direction is not good for humanity i think that no. humanity is in real danger um and if it goes the other way then humanity could be uh could really thrive and flourish for you know, right. years to come so that's yeah. right okay well i'll get you my book and then we can we can have a discussion and come on again and talk about it fantastic i look forward to it awesome okay. Okay. all right well have thank a great day me. thank you so much right. you bet you too we'll see you This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.